Last week, we, we talked about the importance of June 18, 1936, for us as a congregation. Eighty years ago this month, our founding pastor, Pastor Harold Laird, was removed from his presbytery, removed from pastoral ministry. He was removed because we saw he, he held to the truth of Scripture. His removal took place on a Thursday. On Friday, the very next day, elders from First and Central, the church from which he'd been removed, and elders from West Presbyterian, which no longer exists in our city, gathered together in the home of a church member to ask, what is the next step? Where will we worship? On Friday, they put the plan in place, and on Sunday, they gathered in the home of, of church members on Pennsylvania Avenue. Sunday school took place in bedrooms, in the kitchen, in the dining room. The worship, the first worship service of the congregation, which would become Faith Presbyterian, the first worship service took place in the living room. But more people came than were expected, and so it spilled into the kitchen and onto the front porch and out onto the lawn. On Thursday, Pastor Laird had been removed from the pulpit of First and Central. On Sunday, the people gathered in worship. And by the very next Sunday, June 28th, the leaders of the church had secured a, a building at, at 14th and DuPont Street, a building which is, is no longer there, but they'd secured the home for Faith Presbyterian Church. Because worship, gathering together in worship, is at the core of what it means to be a church. It's not simply that there's a convenience to having everybody all in one place. It's this is what we as a church are meant to do, to gather together in worship. Because worship isn't, it's, it's not simply for our sake. Yes, we are, we are strengthened and encouraged as we come together. As you hear people whose, whose lives you're invested in, as they sing glory and praise to Jesus, as you hear them declare that truth, then you are encouraged. Because you know the paths that they've walked. You know the ways that God has, has rescued them. And so you're encouraged. But worship is not primarily about us. Worship has, a, has an outward focus, as this passage makes clear. Worship is so that the world will know what is true. But more than that, more than that, ultimately worship, we gather to worship because of who Jesus Christ is, because of what he has done. I mean, the glimpse that the Apostle John gives us here in, in Revelation chapter 5 shows us the, the direction that, that history is moving. We are moving closer and closer to Jesus. We're moving toward his, his power and authority being seen everywhere so that, I mean, this passage says that every creature, every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature in the sea and under the sea, every creature will exalt Jesus Christ. That's the trajectory of, of history. That's the direction toward which we're moving. And so today, when you sing praise to God, gathered as the church, you get a glimpse of heaven. This is what, what, what the church will look like when the church is victorious over sin, over death. When Jesus Christ returns, we will be people gathered in worship. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, seriously? Like, I can barely make it through, like, an hour and five minutes of this. Like, my mom and dad, they drag me here. 
And you think, you know, just sitting around, like, they're singing this song over and over again? And so you think, is that really what I want? I mean, but, but listen. I mean, listen, listen as we go through this passage to the, to the glory of who Jesus is, but also the necessity of what Jesus has done for us. It's actually as we begin to understand who Jesus is that we think, there is nothing else I could do. And the only response, when I really understand who Jesus is, is, is to give him glory and praise to worship him. Because from the beginning of our history as a church, worship is central to who we are. Because worship is central to who we are as people. And worship here, John makes clear to us, is the purpose of history. We have a, a scene in which Jesus is the only one who is worthy. The scene here is of, of the scrolls, the scrolls which will, which will move history forward as they're read, as they're, as they're unfurled. This is how God's purposes, his plan, are being unfurled. And the question is, who is worthy? Who can do this? Who can rescue the people of God? Now, if you've been in church more than once, then you can come up with an answer, even if you weren't listening to the question, right? You can just say, oh, Jesus. Jesus is probably the answer. Ultimately, we're going to get to Jesus in the sermon, right? So even if you weren't listening to the question, and wait, what was the question? The question is, who is worthy to move history forward? Who is worthy to, to rescue God's people? Only Jesus. Now, when I, when I say that, only Jesus is worthy, you know, we, we kind of step back and say, well, I mean, Jesus and like the other religions too, right? They all kind of work the same way. That's, that's what, we, what we think. That's what our, our culture would tell us, that Jesus is sort of one of the, the paths. And so we think that, that when Christians, and, and this passage is, is, is explicit, that only Jesus is worthy. Only Jesus is the one who can rescue God's people. When we, when we use that word, that qualifier, only, then we, we think, well, you know, I'm just not sure about that. I'm not really sure that's as open-minded of, of a strategy. Because, because we think, you know, we're, we're kind of in this, I mean, picture yourself in this room, and, and it's filled with all these doors. And, and you think, well, I should be allowed to choose whatever, whatever door I want to walk through. I mean, whether it's the Buddhist door or the Hindu door, I mean, any of these doors, they should get me toward God, right? That's, that's culturally what we think. Well, the Bible is saying, no, 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 only Jesus. But I think part of the problem with our, with our images is the picture we have of the room we're in. We're picturing a room with lots and lots of choices, that all of these ways will get me there. Now imagine, imagine being in a room where there are no doors. And you're thinking, how would I get out of this confined place? And then one way opens up. Well, now, if you're, if you're trapped here and, and there's one way of escape, do you sit around and complain and say, well, you know, really, I would like at least three or four ways of escape. Because only if I had multiple ways of escape would, would, would I be willing to choose that one. No, if, if, you're, if you're desperate, then having a, a way of rescue is, is what you need, and that's what, that's what the Bible tells us. You were trapped in your sins. You were lost in your sins. You had no escape until God provided a way. Only through Jesus. Now the only doesn't sound so confining. The only sounds liberating and freeing. Through Jesus, I can have an escape. I mean, imagine a, 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 a mother or a father with a, with a child who's ill, who's, who's in desperate need of help, crying out for help. 
If, if they go from doctor to doctor who, who doesn't know what to do and they find one who says, well, we, we only have one option available, but it's going to bring full and complete recovery. The mother or father doesn't say, well, then I don't think I'm going to take it because I would like to choose from among multiple medical options. No, if you're desperate for a solution and you have one, then to have only one way is all that you need. And so to say that Jesus is the only one who is worthy is, is not to limit not to limit or, or confine us. It's actually to free us, that we have a, a path. And so, yes, it is, a, it is an exclusive claim that, that only Jesus is the way. He is the only one worthy to open the scrolls, the only one who can move history forward. And because of this, Jesus then deserves praise. I mean, the scene in heaven is like that frantic scene of a, of a mother or father looking for help. Who can do it? Who could rescue who could rescue sinners? Is there anyone who could, who could accomplish this? And Jesus can do it. And so verse 9 tells us that, that in heaven there is a new song that is sung. I mean, that language of a new song is the, is the way that the Bible, even if you go back to the Old Testament, will describe the song of victory. God has done something for his people. And so we need a, we need a new song to, to acknowledge the greatness of God. We need to sing something new. Because God has rescued us. God has given us the victory. It is a song of praise for God's rescue and God's victory. And in this passage, we see that, that not only is praise being given to God, God the Father, praise is given to Jesus. Jesus directly receives the praise of his, of his people, of his creatures, of, of the angels in heaven. Now, this means you can't leave Jesus in the category of, like, just a nice guy, just a good teacher. I mean, Jesus has to move into a different category of being the Lord of history. God himself, the one who deserves all praise. Because look at the, look at the praise that is given to Jesus. Look at verse 12, where the voices of, of all the creatures in, in heaven and and on earth, they sing the song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It's an overwhelming song. The waves just keep crashing on you. That Jesus deserves all glory, all power. Jesus is the one of, of highest worth. Of, Jesus is the one most precious. Jesus is the one worthy of praise because Jesus is God's son. Jesus is our rescuer. What's the, what's the description that's used here of Jesus? We can look back to verse 6. John, in this vision, sees a lamb. In my translation, it's a, it's a capital L, lamb, making sure we don't miss the connection. He's not just talking about a cute, cuddly little creature I mean, that's the way I view lambs. I guess if you're a farmer, they're stinky and dirty and smelly. But he's not just picturing this little creature. He's picturing, he's seeing Jesus. But that image of the lamb, the lamb, verse 6 tells us, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. This lamb, the lamb of God. I mean, Jesus is the sacrifice in the place of sinners takes us back to, to what, for John, would have been contemporary, his experience of worship. But for us, is going back to the Old Testament. The experience of 
Jews, the people of God, bringing their sacrifices to the temple. The lamb slaughtered on the altar, the blood of the lamb spilled to provide atonement for sins. I mean, it takes us back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the sacrifice who dies in the place of sinners. That's what the song of praise is in verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. The blood of Jesus buys our forgiveness, buys us out of slavery to sin. Through Jesus we are forgiven. And so it means today you need to place your trust in Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only rescuer. You need to declare Jesus to be Lord. That's the direction that history is moving. Because one day every knee will bow, the Bible tells us, before Jesus. Every one of us will submit to Jesus in his role as the Lord and judge of history. But some of us, some of us will will bow in worship. Others of us will be pushed to our knees in judgment. Because only if you are found in Jesus Christ, only if you claim his death as your own, only if you trust in Jesus instead of trusting in yourself, will you have forgiveness of sins? So will you join the, the worshiping community of heaven and give praise to Jesus? Jesus is our rescuer, the lamb who was slain. And you see, here is the beauty of Christianity. It seems like foolishness. I mean, why does Jesus gain victory in this way? Why doesn't Jesus just use these thousands upon thousands, these 10,000 times 10,000 angels, to just destroy his enemies? Actually, that's what he was mocked and asked to do on the cross. If you're the Son of God, then call down some angels to get you off this cross. If you are the Son of God, then why don't you do something about it? See, what the soldiers who mocked Jesus, what what the criminals crucified with him who mocked him, what we don't understand is is that in our mocking of Jesus, in our rejection of Jesus, and asking him to, why don't you do something? He is. I mean, the beauty of Christianity is that Jesus gains victory through his death. That in his apparent weakness, a lamb, a lamb who was slain, that Jesus in his act of sacrifice, that's why he deserves our praise and our worship, because he died for us. And so we can join with the song, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You are worthy to move history forward. You are worthy to claim the scepter of God's rule because you were slain. Because your blood purchased men for God. Jesus deserves our worship. And so that's why on on Thursday when the the church is told that that you will not be able to, to gather, Pastor Laird will not be able to preach from the pulpit of First and Central, the church says then we still have to gather. We have to worship. And remember what Jesus has done for us. This isn't simply an act of defiance against a a presbytery that has become liberal. This is the defiant act against against our own past history with sin. It's a defiant act against, against all who would say that Jesus is not the king. Worship is where we stand and say Jesus reigns now. Jesus is the lamb who was slain. And so that's why Faith Presbyterian Church just a few days 
after Pastor Laird was removed from his pulpit, gathered in worship. And Pastor Laird, actually, that next day, June 22nd, after the first worship service, went into the hospital for a major surgery and was in the hospital for weeks. So the church just found guest preachers to come through that summer. Because you can't put worship on hold. I mean, from the very beginning, the, the, the worship director at First and Central decided to stand with Pastor Laird and left First and Central to go with the new congregation. The building that they occupied had, was a congregation of, of another denomination that had been dissolved. The organist from that congregation said, I'll worship with you. Our first organist, Francis Richardson, and our first music director, Gordon Curtis, stayed as worship leaders at Faith Church from its founding in 1936 all the way through the, the time that we worshipped at 14th and DuPont. And so we gathered in worship here. They didn't retire until 1968. John, you've got a long way to go. Because, I mean, from the, from the beginning, they stayed to lead God's people in worship because worship is the central priority for us as a church. When you understand who Jesus is, then you have to gather with God's people and worship. You have to give praise to God for what he has done. But, but notice with me, the beauty of the, the description of, of praise that's given to Jesus. See, we worship Jesus because of what he has done for us, but we worship Jesus because of what he is doing in the world. Go back with me to verse 9. Jesus is worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. The worshipers say, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And this is a glorious picture of what the church, who we are, who we're meant to be, what the church universal looks like, what the church victorious will look like. People from every tribe, from every language, from every people group, from every nation will be gathered to worship God. And so, yes, we, we have said already today that Jesus is the only way, but he's the only way for all of you. Everyone is invited. So Christianity is, is, in one sense, the most exclusive religion only through Jesus, but it's also the most inclusive because everyone from every tribe, from every language, from every people, from every nation, you are invited to worship. The lamb who was slain died in your place. But you see the connection here between worship and missions. The church gathers in worship and the church goes in mission. You can't separate them. You can't call yourself a church if you just gather on Sundays to worship. That's not enough because what does it mean to gather and worship? It means that people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation will be part of God's kingdom. And so you must go. You must be willing to go. I mean, this is, there's, a, there's a beauty to this. We are, we are a people brought together not simply because, because we share you know, common interests or common histories or common backgrounds. The church, the church universal is gathered together because of who Jesus is, because of our common history in Jesus. Jesus is the one who died for us. And so this means that we as a church, we need to, we need to think about how can we, how can we be part of reaching every nation, 
every tribe, every language, every people with the gospel. It means some of you, you need to learn another language. And you need to go and proclaim the gospel. We need to support missionaries who are, who are doing the work of translation. We need to support missionaries who go to the edges of the earth. We need to, we need to, to look as a, as a congregation, as a denomination, how do we reach people that have not yet heard the gospel? Because when we understand who Jesus is, when we worship him, then we have to tell others. We have to go. We have to serve. And so, and so the question is, who will you tell? We, we sometimes fear evangelism. We sometimes fear missions because, well, it'll feel so strange. It'll feel so awkward. No, it's the most natural thing in the world when you understand who Jesus is. When you worship Jesus, when he becomes the most important part of your life, when he becomes your priority, then you think, how could I not tell people about him? It just bubbles up and overflows into all of your conversations. And you think, Jesus is Jesus rescued me. He died for me. And here's the good news. You can put your trust in him. You can be welcomed into God's kingdom. It overflows. So, so let worship fuel your desire for missions. Let it propel you forward to mission. And so when you don't feel like showing up here on Sunday morning, when everything seems to be, be falling into chaos in your household, say, I need to go. I need to be part of the church. I need to be reminded of what is true. I need the people around me who have gone through the same chaos. I need to hear them sing. I need to hear them pray. I need to hear them worship Jesus. And I need to be reminded that I am someone who is sent with the gospel. Worship fuels missions. Worship prioritizes missions. Worship pushes us to the ends of the earth with the gospel message. And so will you go? I mean, really. Will you leave Faith Church with the gospel? We're asking some of you to do that now. I mean, there's, I mean, I mean I'm not like get up right this moment and go. I mean, we're, we're sending Will Stern as a presbytery to, to plant a church just six or seven miles north of us. Will you go? You might think, well, well, aren't there churches up there? Why would I, why would I need to go there? Because there are not enough churches in that community to reach the people who live in that community. And a new church has a powerful, is a powerful tool to be used by God to reach new people with the gospel. And so will you leave Faith Church for the sake of the gospel? Will you today consider maybe God is calling me to leave this state, to leave this country with the gospel. And you thought, well, you know, I mean, it's not really a convenient time in my career. It's not really a convenient time for my family. But will you go? I mean, will you say that, you know what, the career path I'm on is nothing compared to the, to the path that God is leading my family down? Will you consider today stepping aside from your job, from your vocation, to go as a missionary? If you're a kid who's here, a student, and you think, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, you know, fireman, cowboy. I don't think anybody actually wants to be cowboys anymore. I think that might be a previous generation. But maybe what God is calling you to be is a missionary. Maybe God is calling you to those, 
scary places, far away from family, far away from friends, will you go with the gospel? And moms and dads, will you send them? Will we as a church be a church that, that remains committed to missions? And if you flip to the, to the back of our bulletin and you look at the names of the missionaries, you know some of them because they grew up here with you at Faith Church. And they said that well, what it means to be a church is it means to go with the gospel. I mean, will you follow their example? Will you follow the example that's been set for us from our history? Remember, remember the, the, the catalyst, the reason that, that Pastor Laird was removed from his pulpit is because he said missions is a priority for the church. And the liberal denomination pushed him out. But really, they propelled us forward with the gospel. In June of 1936, Pastor and Mrs. Laird had, had missionaries staying with them. Missionaries supported by First and Central Presbyterian Church. They had arrived on June 4th. It was Dr. Roy Byram and his wife Bertha and their daughters. They were there in the house when, when Pastor Laird received a letter from the presbytery. He called them into his study to read the letter to them. It was the letter demanding that he show up on June 18th to be kicked out of the denomination. So they were missionaries with this denomination. They had been called in 1921 to go to Korea. They served as medical missionaries. Dr. Byram was a medical doctor. They had started a, a hospital, a, a new hospital had just been built. They'd been in Korea for, for now more than a decade. They were back in the United States sharing updates on their ministry, raising more support for their work. And so on that June Thursday, they went with Pastor Laird to the Presbytery meeting. They sat and they heard the complaints. They heard his answers to the Presbytery. They saw the action whereby he was removed. And they were challenged themselves. How can we stay with a denomination? How can we as missionaries stay with a denomination that doesn't even believe the good news of Jesus, that doesn't, that doesn't give honor and glory and praise to the Lamb? And so on Saturday, June 20th, they wrote their letter resigning from the denomination's missions agency and signing up with the Independent Board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions, the, the, the independent mission-sending agency that, that our new church was sending missionaries. And so Dr. and Mrs. Byram became the first missionaries of Faith Presbyterian Church. They had to walk away from their ministry. They had to walk away from that new hospital. They were put on a team of, of other missionaries being sent, others like them who had been, been pushed out of the the liberal denomination. They were on a team, a team of, of missionaries, nine adults and ten kids, who were sent to Manchuria. Missionaries who had come from having served in Korea, like the Byrams. Missionaries that had been serving in China, among the Chinese. Missionaries that had been serving in Japan. And so this team went, this trilingual team, to minister to the, the Chinese and the Japanese and the Koreans of Manchuria. And you have to remember, see, when I just think back to 1936, I think, oh, this is this romantic notion of going to the, to the Far East, going to East Asia. 
This was not a safe time in the history of East Asia. The rumblings of of war were were stirring throughout the the Pacific Rim, the rumblings of war stirring through, through Nazi Germany. And yet these missionaries decided to go. Because when you, when you understand who Jesus is, that he is the lamb who was slain, then the church must be a church that, that goes with the gospel mission. The church must go so that people from every tribe, from the Korean Peninsula, from East Asia, from the islands of Japan, are gathered to worship Jesus. From our founding, from that first Sunday, missions and worship are central to who we are. Will you go? Because as worship wells up within us, then it overflows so that it can transform the world. We have the message the world needs, the message that Jesus died for us, that Jesus died in our place. And so we can join with the the thousands of angels in heaven to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. See, they're merely looking down on it. The lamb who was slain, you and I are living in the midst of it. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for me. The lamb who died for me. His blood shed for me. And so when the gospel captures us, it wells up in songs of praise, new songs that must be sung. Because we are the people redeemed by God. And then we have this message, and we must go with it. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I I confess that that my heart is not always oriented toward your purposes, toward the praise of Jesus. Lord, I recognize that, that we as a congregation are, are not always good at doing this. Yes, we gather with excellence in our music when we gather on Sundays, but, but Lord, in our hearts we chase after other things. Lord, in our praise, let us acknowledge Jesus to be our King, Jesus to be our Rescuer. Lord, let us be able to proclaim to all the nations of the world the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Lord, we pray today that that you would send us, use us as we pray for missionaries, as we go with the gospel, as we give generously so that others would hear, so that the chorus would be expanded, the, the, the choir multiplied of people who know Jesus as the lamb who was slain for them. Lord, do that work in our hearts. Make us love what matters most to Jesus. Lord, send us in the power of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, the Lamb who was slain, the one who is worthy. Amen.